Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, June 16th, and we're talking about short interest. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, how's it going? Doing well. Doing well. The the news that dominated the headlines today, and certainly I had a bunch of notifications about it when I woke up, was the Amazon Whole Foods acquisition, which is pretty crazy. Um, unfortunately, because of our taping time today and with the availability of some of the details, we're not going to be able to touch on that. Um, I was a little bummed because I do love doing those types of shows. Yeah, it's pretty big news. I woke up too with a bunch of notifications about it. And I think there were rumors about it, something to the effect of Amazon was thinking about this a few months back. So I don't think people are too surprised, but it is kind of crazy they did when, and pulled the trigger on it. Yeah, it's particularly interesting because there was also rumors about Amazon and Slack possibly doing something. Uh, it, you know, right, s- and that and that was supposed to be nine billion, and this deal's like fourteen billion. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't think they had enough money to do all these deals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there will be a breakdown with Industry Focus uh, on that deal, but it's going to come on Tuesday on Vince's Consumer Goods Show, uh, just because we don't have the availability of details and and then really the time to do it right now with when we're taping the show. So, look forward to that one next week. Uh, We are instead going to shift our focus over to some of the uncertainty in the tech space. And I think you look at last week, we saw that weird kind of like flash drop that all of the FANG stocks experienced. It was like 2.34 p.m. on like Thursday or Friday, they all dropped like 1.5%. Looking at some headlines that I saw this week, there seems to be some other ominous feelings, at least in the market. Um, two in particular that kind of caught my eye and were kind of the impetus for today's show. Uh, Apple Tesla shares are two of the biggest shorts in the mar- in the world right now, uh, and that's Market Watch. And then Wall Street is betting against Tesla and Alibaba like never before, coming from Fortune. Um, so the basis of these news items is short interest in these companies, and, and it's a topic we've touched on a little bit in the past, Evan. But I figured today we'd kind of take on that topic, talk about some of the different ways uh, short interest can be stated, and then maybe why uh, people are betting against Tesla and Apple a little bit. Yeah, so just as a, I guess as a quick primer for anyone out there that's not too familiar, short interest is just basically how many shares are being held short against the company. And you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it, and I think we'll touch on these, but you can either look at it as a percentage of shares outstanding or alternatively a percentage of, of float. Um, or I think what led to these headlines that you mentioned before was when you measure it in dollar terms, because it makes for a good headline of, oh, there's billions and billions of dollars <laughs> being bet against these companies, which, you know, you just look at the number of shares times how much they're worth, and you get a number and you get a good headline. So, so you mentioned the two different calculations there. Uh, if you're seeing this stated as a percentage, it will either be basically the number of shares uh, sold short divided by shares outstanding, or the number of shares in short positions divided by the percentage of float. you want to talk a little bit about the difference between shares outstanding and float? Because I'm sure there are some folks out there that don't really know that distinction. Sure, sure. So, shares outstanding is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. That's just the total number of shares that are out there uh, that the company has issued. But what you have to acknowledge that some of those shares cannot be freely traded. Uh, the biggest, the most prominent example of that is all the shares that insiders hold, which is usually very substantial. And you know, insiders have all sorts of restrictions on when they can trade their shares. So, those, you know, the, a lot of those shares are considered restricted and not freely traded. So, you know, some portion of shares outstanding is always going to be kind of locked away effectively. And float is what's left. So, float is basically everything that's out there that is readily tradable, that is currently trading, and, you know, pretty much anything that's not restricted. So, float is usually 
you know, it will always be less than outstanding. Um, and I think, you know, that's why most of the time when people look at short interest, you take it as a percentage of float because, you know, you want to know percentage of what's out there because obviously the, the stuff the insiders are holding, they're just sitting on it and that's not going to affect the market price because uh, those shares aren't really being traded. And, and I think when you're looking through those two numbers, um, just to kind of help you reason through it, the percentage of uh, shares held short or the short interest as stated by float will always be higher, right? Because it, right. you can't have a higher number of shares in float than in shares outstanding. Right. So, I mean, I think both are useful. So, it's always good to kind of keep an eye on both numbers. Yeah. And, and looking at just kind of some of the, you know, some of the numbers that catch your eye when you're looking at uh, the companies um, by short interest, uh, if you're going by shares outstanding, uh, GNC Holdings is near the top with over 40% of shares uh, currently tied to shorts. If you're looking by float, uh, Sears is one of the most heavily shorted stocks out there in the S&P 500, and um, <laughs> they have about 75% of, of uh, float currently held short. Um, you talked about how you can also do something else with these numbers, uh, and that is kind of assign a dollar value to current short interest. And that's what we're seeing with these headlines about Apple, Tesla, Alibaba. Um, the calculation there, as, as you alluded to, is taking that percentage, um, and, and for this one, you'd want to be using shares outstanding rather than float, and applying it to the company's market cap um, to, to kind of see what the actual dollar value is there. And while I do think um, it, it can be helpful, I think it's kind of a misleading number when you're looking at a lot of these big tech companies. I think I think it can be framed in a misleading way, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, so for example, um, I think so. Short interest numbers are officially disclosed twice a month by the exchanges, and you'll get a, a you know a, a, just an absolute number in terms of shares. So just for reference, Tesla at the end of May there was about 31 million shares held short. Apple was about 63 million. But obviously that that doesn't include the percentages. But between those. You know, in those intervals, it's just you know they put out those numbers every two weeks or so, you know, twice a month. But beyond the official numbers, I think uh, you, you do see a lot of headlines from third-party companies. The most prominent being S3 Partners, which you see quoted a lot in these articles about short interest. And S3 Partners is a financial analytics firm, so they have other ways to kind of try to measure short interest uh, in in terms of percentage and dollar value between those kind of release dates, the official release dates. So they you know they have their own ways to kind of quantify these numbers. So, that's what, that's where a lot of the times you'll see these numbers coming from as well. And so, to run, run through those calculations that we talked about for Apple, just to, to kind of show the mechanics here. So, roughly 1.2% uh, of Apple's shares outstanding are currently being shorted, and the company is worth about $750 billion. <laughs> and so, that's how you get to $9 billion in value being held short, which is one of the uh, highest dollar amounts currently out there for any, any companies that are publicly traded. Um, and I think it's it's worth kind of revisiting that context, right? Like Apple is a massive company, and when when you're that big, you are going to be near the tops in a lot of the major categories. Uh, as a case in point, I mean, they have a 1.75% yield with their dividend. They are currently the world's largest dividend payer. So so I think the scale kind of uh, gives you some some good things and some bad things uh, when you're that big. Right, exactly. I mean, in absolute terms, yeah, Apple is the biggest dividend player, but on a percentage yield basis, it's really just kind of modest, like two percent. You know, it's nothing too big. But yeah, it's just one of those. You know, when you're the biggest company in the world, pretty much everything you do is going to be very big. <laughs> I, I kind of like to think of it for any baseball fans out there. 
uh, like Hall of Fame pitcher Cy Young. I mean, he is <laughs> he's the pitcher that started the most games in MLB history, so he easily has the record for most wins. He also has the record for most losses in baseball history. So there are going to be some numbers that look really good when you're working at big scale. There are going to be some numbers that look really bad when you're when you're working at big scale. Um, but to, to look at on a dollar value basis um, how some of these other companies stack up. The top five, they're, they're pretty much all tech names. Number one is Alibaba. Number two is Tesla. Number three is Apple. Number four is AT&T. And number five is Amazon. Um, they're all big companies there. And and I don't, I don't want people to get too caught up in that dollar value number because I, I think there, there are more important things to keep in mind. And I think it's always good to look at the percentage side of, uh, of short interest because a lot gets lost when you're looking at it in dollar terms. Right, definitely. And I mean, there's a lot of ways to read the percentage too. I mean, obviously, the, the most obvious is just you know, a large number means there's a lot of people getting betting against it. But I think you also have to remember that short sellers inevitably do have to buy back those shirts eventually. So it's also, you could also see that number as kind of pent up buying demand for whenever those shorts end up closing out their positions, either at a gain or at a loss, depending on what's going on. But but I think it's just important to just keep in mind that, hey, you know, even if there's a bunch of people betting against whatever stock, they do have to buy that back eventually. So it's not all, you know, they can't just keep it down forever. Yeah, you'll often hear the term uh, short squeeze, right? And then and that is uh, that, that people are kind of being pinched when they're in that position and are looking to kind of cover uh, their spots there. Um, looking over at the rest of that list to kind of ease people who maybe have any concerns about what's going on in the tech market right now, we'll talk about some of the individual companies. Um, if you look at just kind of on a dollar value basis, the top 20, there are a lot of other really big names in there. I mean, Visa, Bank of America, Walmart, Chevron, they're all in the mix. So, so again, I think this is more an issue of scale than it is uh, the tech sector in particular is you know wildly overvalued and, and people should be scared. Um, we, we looked at how you know the short interest for Apple specifically is very low when you look at their shares outstanding, but that's not necessarily the case with Tesla. Why don't we walk through what's been going on with them with short interest and, and maybe what some of the concerns that current shorts have uh, with the company are? Yeah, I mean, Tesla's a very polarizing stock. It's very, you either love them or you hate them. There's not really much in between. And I mean, I think most, the, the, I think the, the main short thesis is pr- primarily predicated on just valuation. Because I mean, if you compare Tesla's valuation from any other auto company, it, it looks absurd and it's completely insane. Um, and I mean, the never ending debate is like, do you consider Tesla a tech company or auto company? And they trade like a tech company, but is that warranted? You know, it, it's, it's primarily revolves around the valuation argument, which is really hard when Tesla doesn't really have any direct comparable peers because they are very different from automakers. But of course, their operations are dominated by making cars. So it's really. It, there's that, it's never going to be an answer because it's going to be like a never-ending conversation, and me, all the while the shorts are betting against them based on the valuation. But I mean, if you remember, there's that old adage of you know the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. So even if even if you're right, the market can continue doing its thing, and then you get squeezed out because you can't. I mean, even if you're right, but it takes a long time for your thesis to play out. Can you are you willing to hold on that entire time? And you know, Tesla has this. Incredible story. They got Elon Musk, and anything he says makes headlines. And everyone, I mean, I, I also have a theory that everyone wants to invest in Elon Musk, and Tesla's the only publicly traded company of his out of his like 
dozen companies <laughs> he, he runs and operates. So I think I feel like some of the general interest in investing in Elon gets kind of consolidated into Tesla because you can't buy SpaceX, you can't buy his tunnel company, you can't buy, you know, you, it's the only one that you can buy. And if you want to invest in Elon somehow, that's how you do it. So I think that contributes a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, it's really hard to, to bet purely on valuation. I mean, you, of course, they do point to some of Tesla's mistakes and challenges, and there are definitely are some. But are those kind of like the fatal type of operational issues, or is it stuff they can get over? So I think that's kind of the, the challenge with the short thesis for Tesla. And I mean, let me say real quick, I do think it's kind of insane that Tesla's almost a $400 when two months ago it was a big deal when they hit 300 So it... it it is getting kind of crazy. And, and you're saying that as a long-term Tesla shareholder. I am also a Tesla shareholder, <laughs> and I kind of agree with you. You know, every time I check my brokerage, it's up, gosh, like one or two percent, like pretty much every day. So, so I understand why people are like, this can't continue. We can't sustain this. Um, at the same time, it is a company that has proven the shorts long for a very long time. Right. I mean, I, I mean, Tesla trades almost entirely on sentiment. It's all based on sentiment on. I mean, the, the current fundamentals really don't have much bearing on it because, I mean, just like most growth companies, like it's all, all it's all baking in the future possibilities, and that's going to create a lot of uncertainty volatility in the short run. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm long and I'm getting a little nervous at these prices, but I'm, I mean, obviously at the full, we're, we're long-term focused, so you know, we're probably just going to sit on our hands. But it is kind of objectively, it's getting kind of crazy. <laughs> it is, but. But it is dangerous, uh, you know th those lo those lofty valuations that companies like Tesla and Amazon sport. Um, they're a reflection of the fact that they're very dynamic, and the danger of betting against a super dynamic, very nimble company is that they roll out or decide to finally break out financials for for a segment that they've been kind of cagey about, like AWS with Amazon, and all of a sudden you have this massive profit center that just skyrockets the stock and and shows that there's clearly something viable here beyond you know what they were doing in e-commerce which is something that happened a couple of years ago um, so so I think in in tech in particular uh, being on the short side of things is just very risky and uh, while looking at short interest can be helpful just to kind of understand how people feel about a stock um, and kind of what the market sentiment is uh, you know I, I will revisit that episode that you and I did uh, I think that might have been two months ago or so when we were talking about the risks associated with shorting the stock. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. And listeners, if you have any trouble finding it, just write into the show, industryfocus.fool.com. We'll be sure to get it over to you. Um, you know, we touch on a lot of the basic ones there, and, and you know, we talk about how valuation can go up and, and share price can go up, and you can be kind of squeezed there. Uh, that is that is not the only risk when it comes to being short a stock, right, Evan? Yeah, there, there's obviously plenty of risk, but I think there's one in particular that most people are not aware of, um, and that, that applies to all short selling, uh, which is the fact that your broker, if you go short a stock, your broker can buy you back in and close out your position at literally any time. And that's a huge risk because obviously if you, if you go long a stock, that's not, that doesn't apply because only you choose when you want to sell. But if you go short a stock, your broker can choose to close you out. And the reason why that is is because um, you know, if you think about it mechanically, you know, when you short a stock, you're borrowing shares from someone, and then you know, when you close out, you buy back the shares and return those shares. But where does the broker get those shares? The broker gets those shares from other other investors. So um, if someone takes out a margin loan to, to invest, they basically are allowing the broker to use their long shares as collateral for that loan, 
would, through a process called hypothecation. So if that investor, for whatever reason, pays off their margin loan, either by selling stock or putting money in their account or whatever, the broker can no longer use those shares as collateral because there's no there's no longer a loan there. So whoever you know, you turn around, whoever they had been previously lending those shares to, they no longer have access to those shares. So you, you know the broker just close it out because they just can't you, they can't lend you those shares anymore. So I think that's just kind of in general a risk. I don't it doesn't happen a lot, but back when I was a broker, I used to get calls and people would be like, hey, why'd you buy me back in? And and that's the answer is because hey, we no longer had access to those shares. So we had to close out your position, and you know when the broker does that, it, they don't care where you're at on the trade. You could be up, you could be down, but they got to do what they got to do, and then your position's gone. <laughs> so I, I think that's just kind of a general risk, and, and certainly it's more pronounced for for stocks that are hard to borrow when there's really not a lot of supply of shares to lend. Um, but yeah, I think it's just if you're going to go out and short a stock, there's tons of risks. Uh, that's one of them that most people are not as aware of that I think they should be. Well, I'm glad that you were able to draw on some of your broker experience and bring it into the podcast <laughs> because often often before the show, we wind up kind of uh, shooting it for a little bit and uh, you always have some interesting stories to tell. <laughs> uh, Evan, anything else before I let you go? No, I don't think, uh, think we covered it. I think awesome. that does it. Uh, just a little housekeeping note before we wrap up. Listeners, you know, we work with advertisers to support the show. One of our sponsors is running a survey to get a better sense of the podcast-consuming audience. If you want to give them a hand, head over to podcastlistener.com. Um, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all he does behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Cool